Alright y'all, welcome back to another episode of A Working Man's Take. Because of what day it is, there is no opening music. Um, that's just the way I felt it was best to do this. Uh, I don't think any real American patriot will ever forget where they were exactly where they were what time what they were doing who they were around the day September 11th 2001 came around uh, most of us um, were at work and very busy and our whole day screeched to a halt as soon as we found out uh, me I was in a office at that time I did uh, I installed office furniture you know put it together put it where it's supposed to go and I had a TV on I stood up go over to the next next task and uh, I was putting, I was, I was the guy going around putting the tops on, you know, build the base, build that up and put the top on, screw it down. And I stood up, go to the next task, and I saw a TV, it, you know, it was muted. I said, hey, what's going on? What is that? And, uh, you know, everybody turned and looked and, that whole office building came to a came to a stop that day, and we stood and watched the, the whole thing take place. And I don't think anybody that really can call themselves a true American, a real American, a patriotic American, will ever forget what they were doing. I remember I stood there the whole time. I had my uh, screwdriver in one hand and my set of allen wrenches in the other and just stood there and watched and you know just this it got worse and worse now undoubtedly undoubtedly you know uh you think of worst attacks on U.S. sovereign U.S. soil, you think of 9/11. You don't remember. You don't remember. You know Pearl Harbor, our, our age. You know you you remember it, but it, it, we didn't witness it. We weren't alive for it, so we don't really remember it. We know about it. And we remember it, but for us. September 11th, 2001 was, I mean, that was just completely, uh, only word I can come up with right now is shocking. It, it just shocked the world and that day, split second after the world witnessed what was happening once the world knew 
what happened, that it was no accident. The world held its breath. And then the world witnessed and saw what America is made out of, what our true fabric is, and what our true fabric in this country is, is selflessness. The, the, the real Americans. And yes, I'm going to draw lines today. It's, uh, it, it was the day when the world said, oh man, we thought they were fat, lazy, and soft, but they're not. The world witnessed the definition of bravery, heroic actions, strength, endurance, courage, true resolve. And in my opinion, they didn't think we had it in us. They didn't think we had it in us anymore. And I'm talking about the world. I'm not just talking about Al-Qaeda, however you say their names. The lousy terrorist. See, they're not brave. It's not brave to unsuspectingly sucker punch I'm gonna, I'm gonna waver off of that specific topic for a minute it, take, it doesn't take a brave man to come up behind somebody when they don't even know you're mad at them and sucker punch them in the back of the head it doesn't take a brave man to do that it takes a coward to do that a brave man that's his enemy no hey I want to knock you out that's what America does that's what Americans do real Americans we don't sucker punch like that Now I'm going to uh, get into this, and I'm going to tell you, I, I get I get emotional because a, a quick little background here for the new viewers and new listeners, and then you know if, if this is your first time. In '95, 1995, I was set just about completed with everything I needed to do to go into the United States Marine Corps I was that, that was ever since I, I was like eight or nine years old they were like hey you what, you, you want to be an astronaut or you know maybe a, a firefighter or something I was like no I want I want I want to be a soldier I want to fight for America and 
95 I got landed on by a car and uh, yeah you know kind of took me out of the running so to speak figuratively and literally because I couldn't really run anymore and after I saw what happened that morning I tried I tried to go sign up had it in my head like man they might they might I might be able to slip through but no couldn't but uh that whole that whole day really defined who was who in this country and that we saw how everybody came together after that on September 11th 2001 it's just a mild sunny morning in New York and Washington DC an Al-Qaeda terrorist they're just they're just terrorists they're chicken crap terrorist but they launched an unprecedented attack against the United States that morning they hijacked four passenger airliners and cowards two were deliberately flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City third struck the Pentagon in Northern Virginia and a fourth crashed in a field outside of Shanksville Pennsylvania the attacks killed more than 3,000 people that's the number I go with the strike at the Pentagon was a defining event for the Defense Intelligence Agency. American Airlines Flight 77, a Boeing 757, hit the west wall of the Pentagon on the first floor at 9.37 a.m. It proceeded diagonally through the building, setting off a chain of explosions as it ripped through the interior walls occupied by 70 DIA employees, killing seven of them. All 64 people aboard the plane died. A total of 125 people were inside the Pentagon. Uh, sorry, a total of, a, of 125 people inside the Pentagon were killed and over 100 were hospitalized. There was a daycare in the Pentagon and another in a building approximately 30 yards away. It was a huge blessing from God that none of the children were killed or seriously injured in either. Employees in the building, DIA employees at the Pentagon, searched the burning office spaces for their friends and colleagues. Others helped relocate young children to a safer location. Some were still in their cribs after a rushed evacuation of the building. 
quote, it was like walking into hell, recalled one employee. With smoke pouring into his office, then DIA Director Vice Admiral Thomas Wilson helped orchestrate the agency's response from the National Military Command Center and National Military Joint Intelligence Center, both loca located within the building. Wilson had to balance the difficult task of providing intelligence to national leadership and accounting for all DIA employees. Across the Potomac River at the Defense Intelligence Analyst Center, known as DIA headquarters, DIA employees could see smoke billow billowing from the Pentagon. Non-essential personnel were ordered to conduct a phased evacuation while many other personnel stayed behind to funnel intelligence to Wilson and his staff. The director was undaunted. The day after the attack, he told DIA personnel, quote, we will pull together to get the job done. In the days and months that followed, uh, end quote, in the days and months that followed, he reconstituted DIA operations, personally supported the families of the dead and injured and grieved with his employees at the tragedy that had befallen the agency. The alleged mastermind of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks was angered when he learned he had to undergo security screening between flights on the morning of the suicide attacks. Cowards. A former U.S. Airways ticket agent says, Michael Tucci of Scarborough said he was suspicious of Ada and Ab. I don't care how you say their names. They're cowards. When they rushed through the Portland International Air International Jetport to make their flight to Boston that day, Ada's demeanor and the pair's first-class one-way tickets to Los Angeles made Tucci think twice about them. I said to myself, if this, this is a quote, I said to myself, if this guy doesn't look like an Arab, terror, Arab terrorist, then nothing does. And I gave myself a mental slap because in this day and age, it's not nice to say things like this. Tucci told the main Sunday Telegram, quote, you've checked in hundreds of Arabs and Hindus and Sheikhs and you've never done that. I felt kind of embarrassed, end quote. In Boston, Ada and Alamari joined three other hijackers on American Airlines Flight 11 which they crashed into one of the World Trade Center's Twin Towers in New York. Five other hijackers left Boston on another flight, which they crashed into, into the other tower. Orlando, Florida, three years 
after September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, coward, cowards, cowards, a U.S. immigration inspector working at Orlando International Airport was honored for his actions when he stopped the 20th hijacker from entering the U.S. Jose Melendez Perez, a Vietnam veteran, is credited for helping save the White House or the U.S. Capitol because the man he stopped, Mohammed Al-Quantani, would have been the fifth hijacker on Flight 93, which crashed in Pennsylvania, but he never made it on. Box cutters found on other September 11 flights, September 24, 2001. Oh, sorry, I got cut off there. The profile of General Timmons recounts that on the morning of September 11, 2001, she was the first officer on United Airlines Flight 23 preparing to take off of New York's JFK Airport bound for Los Angeles. The plane had already pulled away from the gate and was taxiing down the runway when the airport was shut down and the crew was ordered to secure the cockpit. Timmons confirmed that as the pilot grabbed the crash axe, she jumped from her seat and started barricading the cockpit door. From the other side of the barricade, the cabin crew relayed their concern about four young Arab men in first class who became agitated when the takeoff was canceled and fled from the plane when it returned to the terminal. Box cutters and Al-Qaeda documents were later found in their luggage. The pilot and the crew were repeatedly questioned by the FBI, though the findings were never shared. The pilot concluded that Flight 23 would have been the next plane hijacked by terrorists if the airport shutdown order had been delayed. Quote, the FBI asked questions. General Timmons is quoted as saying, they don't tell you things. Why wouldn't the U.S. government want to report the incident? Why didn't the 9-11 Commission mention it at their official in their official report? Were they concerned about panicking the public? Were they trying to apprehend the four passengers who fled? Why maintain a official silence about the incident a decade later? <sighs> Immediately after the attacks, people were different in this country. Or friendly, considerate towards others, grateful just to be alive. Stayed that way for a little while and gradually went back to where it was before and look how we are now. First responders worked day and night searching for remains. 
among the men and women killed on September 11th were many first responders who were at the World Trade Center to assist those trapped and injured by the attacks. The deaths include 23 New York City police officers, 37 Port Authority officers, and 343 members of the New York City Fire Department. Those who lost their lives in the line of duty were heroes. Yet the first responders who continued to show up and work in the days after the attacks demonstrated their own heroism. After losing colleagues, friends, and family members, firefighters, police officers, and others reported for duty at Ground Zero, there they endured, endured grueling shifts and dangerous conditions as they looked for survivors and searched the remains. I'm going to go back up and point something out because I'm sure y'all remember this. Plane hit the building. It took maybe half a second for the people now cursed by roughly half this great nation. It took them half a second to run in. Run in. Others were on the way and they see the other plane hit. By that time, people had already said, hey, a, a plane flew into the tower. Then they know that a second one just did it, and they go in anyway, knowing that they're under attack, knowing that this nation is under attack. They didn't give a damn about themselves, their lives, their health, their safety, their well-being. They put it all on the line to save other people. That's what a hero is. I got this uh, little tidbit from Click2 Houston. A key rescue on 9-11-01, how a janitor at the World Trade Center used his tool to save lives. William Rodriguez had a master key and knew how to use it to help rescue efforts as the building crumbled. On the morning of the attack, the North Tower of the World Trade Center Rodriguez was in the basement building when the tragic events started to unfold. His first thought was saving his friends in the restaurant at the top of the building. Mr. Rodriguez, William Rodriguez was in the basement. The basement. And his first thought was saving his friends in the restaurant at the top. 
of the building where he ate breakfast. He used a master key to open any door in, in either tower. He used his key and his tool to open doors on various floors for firefighters and police in their efforts to save people. The elevators were out of service. He took cover underneath a fire truck and was rescued from the rubble about four hours later. Twenty years later, he is still praised for his quick action and use of a master key. Brian Clark rescued a man stuck on the 81st floor of the South Tower. Stanley Prainmeth, Prainath was on the 81st floor of the South Tower when the second plane, United Airlines Flight 175, struck at 9.03 a.m. His location was close to the strike point that he could see the plane approaching. Miraculously, he survived, but damage left him with easy way out. No easy way out. Brian, damage left him with no easy way out. Brian Clark, another worker, heard Prayman's cries for help. Clark convinced him to jump past the debris and the two of them made their way down and exited. The group he had been with when he helped Prainmith climb higher to await help, a decision with fatal consequences as the South Tower collapsed at 959. Michael Benefit Benefate and John Sequera carried a wheelchair-bound woman to safety. Patricia Horono, Hor I'm not messing up these names on purpose. I'm sure y'all know that. An army nurse set up a triage area after the Pentagon attacks. Frank D. Martini and Pablo Ortiz saved at least 50 lives in the North Tower, 88th and 89th floors by opening elevator doors and leading people to the exits. This one gets me every time. Flight 93 passengers. Todd Beamer, Mark Bingham, Todd Burnett, and Jeremy Glick found their high found their high fought their hijacker quote I know we're all going to die there's three of us who are going to do something about it I love you honey end quote quote let's roll Mohawk iron workers 
where they're cleaning twisted I'm sorry I, I, I gotta I skipped over that because this one gets me every time that whole part I just did that whole segment the whole section gets me every time selfless heroic brave courage strength endurance fortitude selflessness flight 93 was either meant for capital white house I didn't make it because four men decided no you wonder how many lives were saved because of the custodian and his master key you wonder if anybody else would have stopped to help the woman in the wheelchair the army nurse set up a triage area for the Pentagon. Two dudes. Just, just two dudes. Two guys. By themselves. Well, together, but on their, on their own. Nobody told them to. It wasn't their job. They were just two dudes. Saved at least 50 people's lives in the North Tower. doesn't take somebody wearing a uniform to be a hero Mohawk iron workers were there clearing the twisted iron and mountain of smoldering wreckage quote my late husband Brad Bonaparte put in roughly a hundred days on the pile in the beginning they hoped to remove debris and rescue people thought buried but no bodies were found on his watch only body parts and those were few and far between it was an experience that haunted him he told us at the time how respirators were in short supply and not changed out for days on end the environment was a simmering stew ripe with carcinogens and dangerous elements many of those iron workers developed an all-consuming aggressive form of esophageal cancer a cancer leaked linked to their time at ground zero breathing in the toxic aftermath the families are being offered a small penance for their selfless service It doesn't take a uniform to make you a hero. It doesn't. It doesn't take training. It doesn't. It, it just takes the ability to put others above you. 
to put others health safety security well-being above your own to stop thinking only for yourself and think for other people that's all it takes that's all it takes I believe and I'm not anybody with a D behind their name they're, they're excluded from what, what I'm saying this, this ain't for them this, this is not for them because they hate America remember They celebrated when the National Archives flagged all our founding documents. They hate this place. This ain't for them. To hell with them. It's for us. All it takes. All we need is to remember where this country came from and what it's been through not just Pearl Harbor not just September 11th 2001 what about after that we weren't done getting attacked were we it wasn't over man was it We had 9-11-01 and we had 9-11-1-2, 2012. A lot of people don't talk about that and you see I link them together and I link everything that's happened since 9-11-01 I link it all together with what's happening now it's to tear this country down and tear it apart but on 9-11-01 the world held its breath till it found out that we were not made of cloth we were no paper tiger we did not quit we do not give up we do not relent when the time comes we pull together and we unite as one when the time comes we stand and we fight it's time to do that again time to pull together Nine eleven, two thousand twelve. 2012 America was tested again 
this one really this this one brings up a, a, a different anger in me and I'm sure you too this one the Benghazi attack pisses me off to no ends because this one was allowed to happen now you hear well 9-11 could have been avoided they had intel they always got intel always have intel and maybe you're right maybe you're right there's all there's still conspiracies going on about theories I'm not going to say conspiracy theories I'm going to say theories going on about 2001 but 2012 the same sons of bitches involved with this BS half-assed fraudulent administration this traitorous administration the same people involved in this anti-american administration were involved in that anti-american administration and they watched from a room on a drone cam as the people that they armed The people that they armed, that they ran guns to, that they created, they watched ISIS attack, outmanned, outgunned. Americans on American soil and they sat and they watched with help close enough away if they would have done their damn jobs and sent back up It could have saved all of those lives. Could have saved them. But they didn't. And if you've seen 13 hours, there's several points that stick out in your mind. In the mind of a real American. There's several parts of that movie that stick out. There's several parts of, of any transcripts that you've read or interviews that you've watched from the people, the men, the heroes, the American giants that survived it. There's one part 
that's always involved. It wasn't American forces that showed up to stop the ongoing attacks. And it wasn't Americans that got the survivors out of there. That's why the second 9-11 attack pisses me off on a whole new level. Because the same traitors that watched that happen are in this current fraudulent traitorous administration. The Benghazi attack was conducted by separate military factions on two separate United States compounds. The first assault occurred at the main diplomatic compound approximately 300 yards 270 meters long and 100 yards 91 wide sorry I messed up but you know what I meant at about 9.40 p.m. local time, 3.40 p.m. eastern time, a mortar fire attack on a CIA annex 1.2 miles away began at about 4 a.m. the following morning and lasted for 11 minutes. Assault on the compound. Map of the U.S. Mission Main Compound and Annex one Libyan guard who was wounded in the attack was quoted as saying, quote, There wasn't a single ant outside before the attack. According to Media Matters for America, the attackers stated they were acting in response to an to innocence of Muslims. No more than seven Americans were in the compound, including Ambassador Stevens. Stevens was visiting Benghazi at the time to review plans to establish a new cultural center and modernize a hospital. The ambassador also needed to prepare a report on the physical and the political, the physical, the political and security environment in Benghazi to support an action memo to convert Benghazi from a temporary facility to a permanent facility. Surplus funds originally surplus funds originally dedicated for use in Iran for fiscal year 2012 were to be redirected and obligated for use in Benghazi. Surplus funds originally dedicated for use in Iran for fiscal year 2012 were to be redirected and obligated for use in Benghazi. An action that had to be completed before the end of the fiscal year, September 30th. 2012. Stevens had his last meeting on the day with a Turkish diplomat, Consul, Gen Consul General Al 
so I Aiken and escorted the Turkish diplomat to the main gate at about 8.30 p.m. local time. The street outside the compound was calm and the State Department reported no unusual activity during the day outside. Stevens retired to his room at about 9 p.m. About 9.40 p.m. local time, large numbers of armed men shouting Ahu Akbar. You know what that means. Approached the compound with multi from multiple directions. They then threw grenades over the wall and entered the compound with automatic weapons fire, RPGs, and heavier weapons. A diplomatic security service DSS agent viewed on the consulate security cameras a large number of men, armed men, flowing into the compound. He hit the alarm and started shouting attack, attack over the loudspeaker. Phone calls were made to the embassy in Tripoli and Diplomatic Security Command Center in Washington. The February 17th Martyrs Brigade and a U.S. Quick Reaction Force located at the Annex Compound a little more than a mile away. And the same people we're dealing with now were in charge then. <sighs> Diplomatic Security Service Special Agent Scott Strickland secured Stevens and Sean Smith, an informant, information management officer in the main building safe haven. The rest of the agents left to retrieve their weapons and tried to return to the main building. The attackers entered the main building and attempted to enter the safe haven. They then spread diesel fuel in the room and set fires. Stephen Smith and Strickland moved to the nearby bathroom but then decided to leave the safe haven after being overcome with smoke. Strickland exited through the window, but Stevens and Smith did not follow him. Strickland returned several times, but could not find them in the smoke. He went up to the roof and radioed other agents. Three agents returned to the main building in an armored vehicle, searched the building, and found Smith's body, but not Stevens. According to the Annex security team, they had become aware of the consulate attack after 9.30 p.m. local time and were ready to respond. However, they were delayed by the top CIA officer in Benghazi. The regional security office sounded the alarm and called to the Benghazi CIA annex and the embassy in Tripoli. After some discussion the CIA's global response staff GRS at the CIA annex which included Tyrone S. Woods dedicated to attempt decided to attempt a rescue by 10.05 p.m. the team was briefed and loaded, loaded into their armored Toyota Land Cruiser by this time, communications at the CIA annex were notifying the chain of command about current 
developments and a small CIA and JSOC element in Tripoli that included Glenn Doherty was attempting to find a way to Benghazi. The GRS team from the CIA annex arrived at the consulate and attempted to secure the perimeter and locate the ambassador and Sean Smith. Diplomatic security agent David Eubin located Smith who was unconscious and later declared dead but the team was unable to find Stevens in the smoke-filled building. The team then decided to return to the annex with the survivors and Smith's body while en route back to the annex the group's armored vehicle was hit by AK-47 rifle fire and hand grenades. The vehicle was able to make it to its destination with two flat tires and the gates to the annex were closed behind them at 11.50 p.m. The United States Army Commando Unit was sent to Naval Air Station Sigonella in Sicily, Italy the night of the attack but did not deploy to Benghazi. United States officials say the team did not arrive at Sigonella until after the attack was over. A United States Army Commando Unit was sent to Naval, Naval Air Station Sigonella in Sicily, Italy the night of the attack but did not deploy to Benghazi. United States officials, the same sons of bitches involved in this fraudulent administration that just abandoned American citizens in a foreign country in a hostile territory behind enemy lines then came out and said that the team did not arrive in Sigonella until after the attack was over. Fox reported that former Navy SEAL Tyrone Woods, one of four Americans killed in the attack, was part of the CIA team at an annex about a mile from the U.S. consulate where Stevens and his team were under attack. When Woods and other CIA operatives heard the shots fired, they informed their higher-ups at the annex to tell them what they were hearing and requested permission to go to the consulate and get help and help out, reported Fox. They were told to stand down according to sources familiar with the exchange. Soon after, they were again told to stand down. Woods and others from the CIA annex disobeyed the orders and made their way to the consulate where they came under fire as they evacuated those who were trapped. They recovered the remains of one of those killed in the attack. They were not able to locate Ambassador Stevens who was also killed and returned around midnight to the CIA annex where they again came under fire. Their requests for support were denied. Although the CIA team was in constant radio contact with their headquarters, reported Fox. The report added that fighting at the CIA annex went on for more than four hours. Enough time for any planes based in Sigonella Air Base just 480 miles away to arrive. But the same traitors 
involved in this fraudulent administration now we're involved with that one u.s forces specializing in counterterrorism rescues were also stationed within two hours of benghazi but were never deployed fox reported that two that the two drones directed to benghazi shortly after the attack began were both capable of sending real-time visuals back to U.S. officials in Washington, D.C. Any U.S. official or agency with the proper clearance, including the White House Situation Room, State Department, CIA, Pentagon, and others could call up that video in real time on their own damn computers. And they know that. Seven hours after he made his way to the consulate and helped to rescue the remaining staff, Woods, along with fe fellow former Navy SEAL Glenn Doherty, were killed by a mortar attack on the CIA annex. Those seven hours, said military observers, provided plenty of opportunity for forces to come to the aid of those on the ground in Benghazi. Additionally, reported Fox News, sources on the ground during the attack said that a, quote, special operator on the roof of the CIA annex had visual contact and a laser pointing out, pointing at the Libyan mortar team that was targeting the CIA annex. The operators were calling in coordinates of where the Libyan forces were firing from. Although the operator repeatedly requested for a Spectre gunship to respond and take out the mortar, no help ever arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, I've made the argument that since before our Constitution was drafted it says before any of our rights were fully conceived that people were trying to stop it. we're trying to destroy the idea that grew into the way of life called America I've made the argument that we've been under attack since before day one I've made the argument that there are people inside this country right now trying to tear it down and they are direct descendants of those that tried to stop it. And that we are the descendants of those that made it happen. And ladies and gentlemen, we are under attack. and it is relentless now obviously i'm not equating it with 9-11-01 i'm not equating it with 9-11-2012 i'm not equating it with pearl harbor because this one is so much different this one is being led by a cerebral assassin as attempting to assassinate Lady Liberty.
I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. We don't have any heroes coming. We can't sit around waiting for Donald Trump to come back. Trump is not coming back before 2024. We can't sit around waiting for the midterm elections. We can't sit around waiting for off-term elections. Ladies and gentlemen, it is past time that we all American the F up. Listen to whatever songs you gotta listen to, watch whatever movies you gotta watch, watch anything, read whatever you have to watch, do everything, every hill, every trench, every bump, speed bump, road hump, mole hill, ant hill, every hill is our hill to fight and die on every single one because the left does that and we have to do it too because if we don't i'm going to tell you this if you blank out everything else i've said tonight if you never listen to anything i've said before or say after listen to me now because this is an absolute fact There are only two options for what happens after the 2022 midterm elections. Either we've been active from this point forward, from here on, all day, every day. American as F. Filled with moments. Jump up in the middle of the damn grocery store, the farmer's market. Now the next traffic jam you're sitting in, instead of sitting there cussing at somebody that cut off in front of you, get out and sing the national anthem. Get out and wave an American flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's time to do everything. We don't need politicians to lead us. They, most of them aren't capable of leadership anyways. We don't need our favorite radio host, TV host, or podcaster to lead us. We know what to do. Because ladies and gentlemen, come 2022 midterms, two things, are, one of two things is going to happen. One of two. Either on this hand, we've been active all day, every day, American as F, all day, every day, 24-7. And we completely wipe out everything with a D on it. And I don't want to hear, well, the rhinos, do, no, forget the rhinos for now. Everything with a D on it has to go. And their numbers got to be wiped out to the point where the loudest shout doesn't register as anything louder than a damn whisper. And then we can focus on 2024 because it's not just voting for president and vice president. There's more Congress and Senate 
elections up in 2024. We've got governor, mayor, municipal elections, sheriff, dog catcher, city council, school board elections in between right damn now and 22 and 24. We have to be active and involved all the time. Or, on the other hand, they win in 22. And it's game over. We win, the game continues. They win, it's game over. Not me, not Mark Levin, Michael Berry, Dan Bongino, Graham Allen, Dana Lash, Glenn Beck, Jesse Kelly, nobody, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, nobody, Donald Trump, nobody, uh, Matt Gates, MTG, DeSantis, nobody but us can make this victory happen. We can't sit around waiting on any of them because they can't do it for us. I hope you hear me. Thank you for joining for another episode of A Working Man's Take. Uh, hit the like, the share, the subscribe button. Give a thumbs up, a rumble, leave some comments, and I will catch you all next time.